Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 309. It's all Greek to me. Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. So, boys, Giannis has uh, participated in a little bit of the chicken sandwich wars. After winning the NBA championship, the next day he went to Chick-fil-A and ordered exactly 50 nuggets in honor of his 50-point victory to beat the Phoenix Suns. Sam, does that does that burn a little harder? Kind of comes across Rubbing the as... chicken in your face? <laughs> Oh, it kind of comes across as just someone that's really humble that they think that the need to celebrate is just needing 50 nuggets. Most like I feel like I feel like rich people would buy like, I don't know, 50 like gold vases or something stupid. You did that to commemorate. Too. Yeah, he did uh, that too. Okay, so he put a nugget in each vase. Yeah, I mean, I'm torn. <laughs> I do agree with you. It's like the humble, the humble guy move. It's kind of nice, like in touch with the reality, you just go and do that. Joe Flacco did the same thing. I think Joe Flacco did it after he signed that huge deal when he became the highest paid player in the NFL. And then he went to McDonald's or something and someone recognized him in the drive through and was, and was commenting on the fact that he'd just signed this huge deal. And he was like, I didn't know what else to do. I just I was hungry. I went to McDonald's. I get it. Um, but it also is like a good PR move too, right? I don't think Giannis is that guy because everything about him, I, I think we've spoken about this before, right? There was a moment when he moved house and he was really loved the idea of a yard sale. Like he thought it was the most amazing, like American thing. And then he said he was just going to have a yard sale and people could just buy his stuff because he was moving. And then the Bucks were like, you cannot do this. You're happy. <laughs> like, you cannot publicize the fact that you're just going to have a yard sale and have random people turn up to your house. Would it, would it make the yard sale like incredibly like middle upper class though? Because fundamentally he's not going to have just like, everything will be valuable because it's his if you see my point oh yeah so for sure it's not really a true yard sale it's more like a a high-end auction because even if you put like a pair of socks on there someone's going to bid thousands to okay, say that they hold own on, his Sam. socks. Not, not thousands let's calm down here really you you don't think that they would spend thousands Thousand. of dollars on just like his a normal... pair of his socks no maybe if he said they were like the game or an, oh i scored 50 points in the in game six in the NBA finals in these songs. And they still stink. Someone, yeah, exactly. And I haven't washed them. Someone then pays thousands. But if they just says, these are just a pair of Nike socks I wear around sometimes, no one is paying thousands. I do agree with you. Everyone would pay over the odds for everything he had. I would even do it. Like if I knew he was having a yard sale near me, I'd go and buy one of Giannis's things and walk away thinking, I should have paid 50 bucks for this, but I paid a hundred bucks. But now I get to say, hey, look at that. That used to be in Giannis's house. I would do it. Yeah, I mean, he he seems very genuine. Like it's he, to me, he seems like one of the last true genuine athletes th that there actually is. I mean, even the watching the video of him talking to his wife about ordering the nuggets, he was like, "Yeah, should we get like fifty nuggets? Like, can we get barbecue sauce on half?" She's like, they don't have barbecue sauce. Like, no barbecue sauce. <laughs> he was like, genuinely, just like it was like having a no like no one else. There's no way LeBron wouldn't would do that without then finding out two weeks later he's dropping an exclusive 
barbecue sauce at Chick-fil-A that you can oh, that, purchase. Now that's like, a great like, move. Seriously. Like, <laughs> that's a great you know move. I mean, like everyone has an agenda, but like he, it didn't, you know, he just seems like such a, like he's so humble and yeah. he really appreciates where he is and what he's come from. And it was really great. I mean, and he had one of the greatest NBA finals once they started winning. I mean, so it was yeah. like game three he had over 40 Game four, he had that block at the end to seal it. Game five, he had that like crazy alley-oop to seal it. And then this game, he had 50. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, the game, the ceiling, right? The 50 points in a, a series clinching game. It's it's an all-time, it's up there with the best performances of all time in a series clinching NBA Finals game. So so only six have ever scored 50 in, in, in a finals game, and only one other person has ever scored it in the clinching game. So it's super impressive. Yeah. No, I mean, it's – and I do agree with you. He seems super humble. We, we reshared on our, on our Twitter. Again, if you're not following us, go and follow the Big Chill podcast. I saw this quote that was in the build-up to game five when he was asked by a, an interviewer, uh, how he manages to not have such an have a big ego where the guy asked him, you know, like a lot of NBA players, it's not until the later part of their career where they kind of learn to put that ego aside. And his answer to that question is a phenomenal. I don't know. Did you see this? Frank? It's, no, it's really good. It's like I've never known someone categorize what the concept of looking forward and backward and just yeah. being present in the moment. Like I've just thought of it as that exact thing. But when he started talking about like one of them has been like having humility, the other one's been pride. The other one's been arrogant. It was. No. So he says, he says, look, if you look back on what you've achieved, that's your ego. That's you looking back with and being proud of what you've done. When you, when you look forward, that's your pride saying, this is what I'm going to do. And so he says, I want to live in the moment, live in now, because that's humility. And that's where all your, there's no goals. There's no targets. It's just enjoy what you're doing in the moment and try and do what you're doing right now the, to the best of your ability. And the, I'm not doing the answer he gave justice, but it's an incredible answer to what is a good question, but also kind of not a good question. It's one of those that if you don't get a good answer, it's a terrible question, but he's actually given it thought. The thing that's funny to me it's about a click, it, actually, it's a clickbait question. Yeah. The thing that's funny to me about it is, and Vasilis, our friend who occasionally listens to this, I find... He reminds me of Vasilis, but only in the sense that whenever I hang out with Vasilis and his friends, you can definitely see that Greeks have this like philosophical approach to life. They do think a lot about what's going on. Kind of kind of got the history and pedigree for it, yeah. right? You can see why they, you know, they did, but you can see it in their culture that there's still this, in, in, they're obviously encouraged to kind of analyze a situation and come up with a big meaning for everything. I think you kind of see it in Giannis in the way that he does talk about things. Equally, I thought it was the fact that in his post, and he might not, who knows if he really will mean this when the dust is settled on this NBA title, but the fact that he said, look, if I don't get back here again, I'm just happy that I've, I've done it once. I think that versus the guy who wins one and then goes, now I'm going to win six. I think it was just really nice that, in, in, again, going back to just enjoying what you've just achieved for him to just say, yeah, I've done it now. Like, I'm an MVP. I've won an NBA Finals. I was an NBA Finals MVP. Like, I can kind of say I got to the top. And now if I don't get back, I at least can always say I got there. Yeah, and I also enjoyed he had a slight shot at everyone else for 
saying that he could have joined a super team, but he wanted to do it the hard way and the right yeah. way. And that was awesome to hear. Like, yeah, I'll, and I'll he, take him slamming, slamming them all day like that. And he nearly called them out by name, right? Like he got pretty close in that comment to actually mentioning who he could have joined and then said, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mention anyone. I'm not going to like throw heat on anyone specific, but yeah, I could have joined a super team, but it's better this way. And I think he's so, right, right? He's definitely right. One thing I have about all of this is that, you know, we had this argument about, you know, whether Italy won it or England lost it. Like the Suns were 2-0 up and then they got pumped, I think, in the third game, like 120 to whatever. Like what happened here to the Suns versus, you know, did the Bucks do something very different or did the Suns just capitulate under a situation that was new to them? So I think it's a mixture of both. So obviously Giannis got healthier as the series wore on because he was carrying that injury. So I think in the first couple of games, he was kind of trying to find his feet again and I think testing out how healthy he was. So I think the fact that he got back to pretty much what seems like full health rid- ridiculously quickly and then pulled out some great performances, there's not a lot they can do to stop him. He is, no. I mean, his nickname is the Greek freak. He is legitimately a freak of nature in terms of the things he can do athletically. Um, just seeing him like his arm when he does his arm wingspan it's just just seeing that alone is like wow yeah he he must be good (laughs) (laughs) and then you chris paul was obviously injured for the final couple of games he'd hurt his hand um i will say i find it it shows you how how small the difference is in sports because after game two people were suddenly talking about there was a lot of chris paul hype there's a lot of people saying chris paul is finally going to win an nba finals haven't we been underrating chris paul his entire career where does he now stand in the pantheon of all-time nba greats and then that that talks disappeared and now Giannis, who for a lot of his career people have talked about him as being good but not good enough like not a true superstar not able he's not going to be able to push you over the line by himself to now suddenly people saying where does where does Giannis stand in the all-time greats like this is a this is an all-time great NBA finals he's already won two MVPs he's only just about to turn 27 years old where does he now rank in the all and it shows you just how fine those margins are sometimes that in you know one or we are talking about a series that game three well, not game game three, they blew them out by 20, right? But game four, yeah. game five came down to one or two plays. If those go the other way, the Suns win the titles. Everyone else is talking, then the river talk is the reverse. Now it's Chris Paul's an all-time great. Chris Paul like got the f- title he deserved. Giannis. Booker is the next superstar. Exactly. Yeah. Booker's the next Kobe Bryant. Giannis probably isn't good enough to win a title without another superstar being with him. Does he need to leave Milwaukee? Like the storylines are totally, totally different. Yeah. Speaking of where does he sit? Quick trivia. He now in his trophy case has two NBA MVPs, a defensive player of the year award and a um, playoff MVP award. Only one other player ever has at least those exact trophies could have more, but at least has those in his case. Who is it? Um, now I think the temptation, right, is to say Jordan, but I'm guessing Jordan, even though he was a great defensive player, never won defensive player of the year, I'm guessing. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Hakeem Elijah one. It is Jordan. Oh, okay. So the obvious answer was (laughs) the right one. You've overdone yourself, Eddie. 
Yeah, sometimes. I mean, that's why it would be a good pub quiz question, right? Because some people, people who know nothing are going to go, let's just guess Michael Jordan. And people who actually know of it out of the NBA are going to overthink it and think it can't be Michael Jordan. That's too obvious. But I have, going back to the, the way people are assessing it, I have been intrigued by some of the fallout. A little bit of the xenophobia, in a way, that has come out of the American sports media in how people talk about Giannis. There was a big discussion going on about how Giannis cannot be the face of the NBA because unlike previous NBA superstars where we know we know their hometown, we know the high school they went to, we know all about their life and their upbringing, we don't really... Now, we know all of that about Giannis. It's just that people aren't familiar with the backstreets of Athens in the same way that they think they're familiar with the backstreets of Akron. I mean, that's the thing that's always crazy to me. Like, it can be a guy from L.A. talking about how he completely understands LeBron's upbringing in a state he's never been to, in a city he's never been to. But then when you say, well, you know, Athens is like not that. It's just another big city, right? You can picture what Giannis's life was probably like. It's like, no, it's Greece, man. They speak a different language. Like, I, I can't say his last name properly. <laughs> Like he doesn't speak English at home. Like this is, you know, like these, and it's, it is interesting to me because, and it's such a delicate topic to touch on in America, but you know, in a country that does struggle with racial issues and you are seeing it even from the black community in a sense that they don't really accept Giannis, a lot of them, I'm not saying across the board, but Giannis is kind of being one of their own. Cause he is just different. Like he's not African American. He's, African. I mean, African. Literally he's pretty. African. Well, he's closer to being just African, but he's he's Greek. I mean, that's I mean, how he, his his parents are Nigerian. Yeah, but I mean, he calls himself Greek, right? Like, it's a very different yeah. mentality to what a lot of European, the kind of European thought process, which is more like this is where I'm from versus what my heritage necessarily is. Not the same. I mean, he's very proud of his Nigerian roots, but um, I think it's just funny for me to watch in the way that they can't embrace him they're always looking for what that thing is that makes someone's different and not to me he has the most compelling storyline of any nba superstar i've ever seen just the fact that what he's had to do to get from where he was to where he is now required so much effort and so much luck in a way that look getting into the nba and being the best player in the nba is going to require that from anyone, but yeah. you know if and you're... then even well then and then even once he was into the NBA, I mean he was selected what fifteenth overall. But if you go back and I just saw there's a really good Instagram post of his picture, his rookie year versus him now, and how much he had to mature and work at and physically, you know, like get bigger, get stronger, get faster. I mean that even that progression once he was in the NBA to become a superstar was pretty astonishing. Whereas a lot of these players come in as superstars and kind of just maintain that level, you know, like yeah. he, he, pro- he, he's progressed leaps and bounds since he was even the 15th pick. So it's, I, it's super impressive. I mean, he's grown three inches officially. I think he's probably grown more than three inches, but it's that weird thing in the NBA where for a while they bump you up and then they start to bump you down because like he, and he's falling into that category. So he's probably grown four or five inches in reality which is crazy. I mean, it's normal for people to keep growing past the age of 18, but to grow five inches, let's even say three inches, to grow three inches after they're 18, being 18 years old is pretty crazy. Sounds um, like there's some torture rack job going on there. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. And then he's 
you know, he's filled out. He was a super skinny guy when he came into the NBA, and now he's he's, he's got some put on fifty on pounds. Yeah, went from one hundred ninety six to two hundred and forty two this year. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's a completely different looking person. Yeah. Um, and I think also, right, it's un, an underrated part of the story that try and deal with the way he's had to change his game. He's lost some of the ability he had in some respects because growing that three inches changes the style of game that he's had to play. So, it's, yes, there's a huge benefit to being three inches taller, but there's also a slight downside in the sense that he was he was a better shooter. He was a more you know more of a just a, what you would have thought is like more of a guard in a sense, like a small forward who was a good shooting like you know, had the potential and have abilities of a shooting guard to now having to transform into a power forward with the abilities of a center, basically. I think it's an underrated part of the game to just look at his physical development and how that's impacted his style of play. But I mean, I think he comes across as a great guy. Do you think you need that background to like sell better in the NBA? Like, I hope I'm saying that right, but like, I know I'm using the term all American wrong, but do you need that kind of like my roots are in America? Like the background has to be like somewhat of a struggle, somewhat difficult. Like I'm just trying to think of like another point in a sport here, like maybe, maybe in like cricket, for example. So you had Stuart Broad, who was a very like public school background, very kind of privileged background, but yet because of his exploits is very well adopted and still very well loved as an England bowler. Whereas like James Anderson had a lot more of like a humble background, but is still loved as an England bowler. So there's not really the care too much as the background of the person. You just kind of accept them for the role they're playing and the skill. I don't know if cricket have. was the best. No, but so, my point was, cricket was the best example that, of a sport like, where there's a lot of, a lot but of my point rough is, street like, upbringings like, in England. It, do you, do you need the rough street upbringing to be more accepted in NBA or is it just trying to sell a story? Like, well, I guess. I mean, he had that, right? He just had that in Athens. He didn't have that in New York. I think the idea is not that the kind of all American concept, right? The fact that you can embody a lot of, which in a way Giannis does, because he actually symbolizes what modern America should be. In a, in a lot of ways, in that he's an immigrant who's come and ex, and excelled based on his abilities and working really, really hard. That is the fundamental principle of America, right? But I do think, I think America is not familiar with foreign athletes being the stars within their leagues and their sports. So it's a little bit, whereas in England, we're used to Cristiano Ronaldo coming and being the best player in the Premier League. It doesn't change the way we necessarily appreciate, appreciate them. And sometimes you can even argue that it enhances it because the kind of, we have these, there's a downside to being the Johnny Foreigner, but then at the same time, there's these expectations of, well, maybe they'll be a bit skillful and they have something that English players don't have. I think in both Flair. baseball, yeah, exactly. I think in Band the Adventure, I think in, in both baseball and American football and in the NBA, sorry, now you're seeing two sports where there's a possibility that the face of both of those sports could be a foreigner. And for Americans, that's a very foreign feeling in you know, that most Americans can't relate to what LeBron James's upbringing would have been like, but they yeah. feel like they can, or they can feel like they can at least picture it. And I guess most of them can't picture what Giannis's upbringing was like. And that makes him probably less marketable in some respects. That was my, that, as you spoke about it, that was my point really, is that obviously you've got baseball now with the, uh, I can't remember his name, Otani, I think it is. Otani, yeah. 
Atani. So you've, you know, there, there seems to be criticism over like speak English or learn English or do something about your background to bring it in line with the American expectation, I guess. And then it seems to be what you were saying about Giannis is, um, you know, you have Greek background, but I can't relate. Therefore, we can't kind of affiliate or understand or kind of embrace. So it's quite interesting that Americans feel the need to have an American in their sport. Whereas, like you say, more globally and more European, we, we're we used to it. We're used to this kind of moving left, right and center, up and down the country, up and down country, regardless. Um, in quite sports. An interesting perspective. Yeah, in, in sports, sports, of course. I Until think this is... Brexit. <laughs> well, I just think it's... I do think what, a, what it does reveal, I think in Europe, we've come to accept the idea of foreigners coming in and excelling and we're much more accepting of athletes being foreign. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no. England isn't nationalistic at all. They're super... No, with, no, no, no. With, Eddie's right. But in sports, with, absolutely not. No, but this is my no, point. It's within, okay. within, within sports, no. Within the rest, of, within the culture, 100%, yes. Like, for example, you could be a foreigner and go play for Blackburn. You will be, you know, like, two guy coming in as a Turkish Muslim. He's Blackburn's favorite player. If you just Baritin turned up... Diaz. As, Exactly. Yeah, if if you just turned up as a you know random Turkish immigrant trying to start your business in Blackburn, it might not go down quite so well. Um, and I do think that is interesting. Is that in a sense, uh, the sports, the treatment of athletes, kind of represents what we, an ideal version of society. I think in America, it's not idealistic. It's actually much more revealing, which is a general fear of otherness, which I do think is reflected in the society as a whole. And it, I, it interests me, and I'm not being critical of the like the overall level of wokeness within American sports media, which I think is good for the most part, but it just is interesting, interesting to me that the same people who would be very, very sensitive about comments being made about African-American athletes are then suddenly happy to say, wow, Giannis can't be the face of the NBA. Otani needs to speak English, right? And these are the same people where if... LeBron James turned up not to dressed in a certain style to an NBA game. And if Skip Bayless said, I don't think he should dress like that at an NBA game, they would lose their minds and say, no, 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 no. Like this is his culture. He's just representing his roots. He's being true to who he is. And that to me is funny, not funny, haha, but a revealing kind of funny as an, an idea. <laughs> yeah. There's an inconsistency there. And, uh, it just, it doesn't sit very well with me, I have to say, but it, it does. I'll be interested to see how Giannis, I don't think he is the face of the NBA. I don't think he will be like there is, there's a recency bias a little bit with trying to say that's where he is now. Cause I think everyone's forgetting a that LeBron is still there. Just had a huge movie come out that Kevin Durant will be more involved next year and on a super team in Brooklyn, you know, like I think there's a lot of other, possible faces of the NBA. Even Steph Curry, Golden State Warriors are going to be really, really good again next year. But yeah, it's it's an interesting, it does give you an insight into America, I think. I, I mean, wait, wait, real quick, Eddie, before you move on, like it is really funny too, because if you look back, when was the last time LeBron won an MVP award? I'm guessing when he was in Cleveland, he probably won one. So I would say 2000 and well, they won the title in 2016, 2016, I'll say. 
Nope. Hasn't won it since 2012. Oh, so in Miami. On Miami. Yep. Wow. And and if you look the last three years, I mean, you have straight foreigners, right? And none, you wouldn't say they're even close to being the face of the NBA where it's still yeah. LeBron and Curry who hasn't won one since 2015. You know, so well, it, it, I mean, you are right in that sense is that these guys probably should be the face of the NBA. I mean, uh, you know, between uh, Giannis and uh, Luka Doncic Jokic and yeah, and, yeah. and Luka, but like, they're not going to be. No. And that is <laughs> interesting. We're looking at it. You're, and that's an interesting point too, right? We're looking, if we go five years into the future of the NBA, there is a, there is a very real possibility that the two best players in the NBA are two foreigners. Um, and there are ones in the Eastern Conference and one in, in the Western Conference, right? So we could be looking at Luka versus Giannis as a consistent storyline, perhaps, in the NBA Finals. And yet, I cannot imagine a scenario in which those are the either one of them is the face of the NBA. Externally, yeah, like they are going to be, they're going to help drive. I mean, the NBA is already very popular abroad. I know that the NBA just opened its first official store in London this week, but. That is definitely going to help to continue to drive the popularity of the sport internationally. But I think within America, it might actually be a, a negative. Hmm. Interesting. I had, I had one more point about this as well. So curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. So when we've spoken over the last like year of this podcast, we've always said like, if a team wins because of all the COVID protocol problems, sometimes there could be a big asterisk by people's victories. The Bucks one was obviously surprising, but you could point to like a load of injuries throughout like uh, Anthony Davis, um, Harden and Irvin, you know, like you mentioned about Chris Paul as well. So does the Bucks win have an asterisk by it or does it not really matter and it should just be celebrated for what it is? I don't think it has a COVID asterisk, but I do think you can make a solid argument that they didn't have to beat a lot to win, that they had an easy path and they also got to play a lot of teams missing. Like they wouldn't have beaten the Nets if the Nets were uh, at full strength. Like the Nets would have won this and it would have been, assuming there's no injuries, this would have been a Nets-Lakers finals and I think the Nets would have won. So... You can say, yeah, the Bucks are probably not the best team in the NBA. I don't think people remember that. We've kind of discussed that before, right? I will remember who, like someone like me will remember who they beat on their way and that Harden had a hamstring injury and that, you know, all these little different things. I think the average person will just remember, hey, remember when the Bucks won the NBA title and Giannis was amazing in the finals. Like I think that's just so I don't think it will have an asterisk, really. But speaking of people maybe showing the worst side of themselves in response to the Giannis situation, Giannis's success, I think the worst side of me kind of came out the other day on my well yesterday on my train ride back to Paris. I had, as always, the good fortune to sit very close to a number of very loud, obnoxious young children, and. They basically ruined my train ride from the moment, not even we left, from 15 minutes before we started moving till the very second I got off the train. And I knew I was in trouble when a family of five sat in four seats, neither of the parents wearing masks, even though it's required here, 
then obviously I, I asked them then, please put your masks on. They kind of gave me the look of, really, you're going to do this? Put their masks on. Did you on. have a mask on or did you have yours off? Oh, no, I had <laughs> mine that's on. the power move. No, I had mine. Yeah. I had, but then I do have to, I will admit, so like you have to have your mask on in public transport. The exception obviously is if you start eating or if you start drinking, you can take it off while you do that. I brought a oh, sandwich. So you had yours off the whole time. <laughs> I did bring a sandwich with me. And then I knew, I was like, I wanted to eat it because my train left at, I don't know, quarter past seven. So 30 minutes into it, I wanted to have my sandwich. And I knew then I've recently asked them to put their masks on. If I now just sit with my mask off while I eat and listen to a podcast, I am going to look like a little bit of a hypocrite. So I then did do the thing of would take a bite of my sandwich, put the mask back on, chew with the mask on. Like, wait a second, pull half the mask off, take a bite, put it back on. I thought, I thought I had the moral victory. But these kids were some of the worst behaved children I've ever seen on any form of transport. They were running. So they were sitting in like a four-seater on a train. They were just – then they were not that small. They were just getting on the table and like wrestling each other on the table. The eldest was probably nine. Oh, free entertainment. The youngest was probably three. Just shoes on, just running all over the seats. And I think the low moment was at one – there was a moment when the three-year-old climbed on the back Shit of the himself. seat and was standing there. And in my mind, I very clearly thought to myself, God, I hope that kid falls. <laughs> and then had to walk it back to be like, I don't really want the kid to hurt themselves, but I wouldn't, wouldn't mind if one of the parents got hurt. Well, like the kid fell onto them or something. Yeah. Now, two other interesting things happened then that made me dislike the parents even more. At one moment, the kid was really misbehaving, and the dad pulled, like, the hand back, you know, the threat to hit move. Oh, my God. And the kid shut up, which made me think he kind of then laughed afterwards, trying to pull, tried to pull off the, like, I was <laughs> just joking with my kid that I was going to hit him. But it was clearly, like, the kid doesn't shut up that quickly unless you've probably slapped him at one point. And then at one, and then later on, the three-year-old just, for whatever reason, as three-year-olds do, just lost their mind, just started crying super loudly and screaming. The dad was just watching something on his iPhone. He just turned. He just shifted his body to look away from the child and just kept staring <laughs> at his phone. Oh, no. After, it's, ne it's basic neglect. <laughs> after 15 seconds, the mother, who's on the other side of the four, reaches across and just places her hand over the mouth and nose of the child and just held it there for a solid 45 seconds. With a, The child didn't make any difference. The child just still screaming and bawling its eyes out. Eventually, the mother then nudged the dad and was like, can you do something about this? And then the dad whispered, very aggressively Puts whispered. Puts a pillowcase over the side. <laughs> Pulled the Saving Private Riot move. Oh my god! Well, this is a dark train journey. But yeah, no, it was. And it, and look, I know I'm I'm I know I've never had kids. I've never had to travel with young kids. I know how difficult it must be. And I'm sure there's moments when you've got onto the train or the plane, and you kind of just want that moment to relax. You've probably done gone through all the difficulties of navigating the station or the airport. 
getting them ready. And I get you could have that moment where you go, look, I've had, I put up with this 24 hours a day. You guys can put up with it for, you know, 15 seconds before I kick into action. But I knew it was bad because there were other parents with other little kids on that train. And even the other parents were giving stink eyes to this, <laughs> this family. <laughs> Eddie, I love how you just attract these types of people and families to sit next to you on every train you ever have. Could you? Yeah, and do you know part of the mistake? No, it was full. And, you know, part of the mistake I made, too, I think, I was in first class, which there's not a tremendous difference on a train between first class and normal class, second class. Except for the champagne, the caviar, and the foot massages. But no, I mean, it's basically a, a slightly more comfortable seat, more leg room, and you've got like a charger at your seat. This is like the big selling point is there's plugs, which it's a, it is a decent wow. selling point, but that is the big selling point. And, and so I was sitting, if you imagine there's the four on one side, I'm just by myself. There's no one facing me. I've kind of got my own. So it was... I do think sometimes when you put yourself in first class, then you do get the very entitled families coming in. And there you get the parents who put in less effort because there's more just the attitude of, like, I don't give a shit about any of this. Well, they usually pay someone to put the effort in for them. Probably. Yeah. I can't but. I can't deal with that. I have a very low tolerance and patience for it as well. Like, do they not have... So obviously in the UK trains, they have things like quiet carriages and stuff like that. Do they have that in France as well? Like, could could you not just say to them, like, this is a quiet carriage? So could you shut the fuck so up? So every, every carriage is supposed to be a quiet carriage. But I mean, it's tough, <laughs> okay. right? This isn't someone on their phone. <laughs> this is someone's kid. So there's a moment where, can you just shut that thing up? It doesn't come across that well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're only going to see them for a couple of hours. Does it matter? Or you come across? Yeah. Do you want me to hold my my hand over its mouth for forty five seconds? I will be. Because I will be. I more promise violent. you. I promise you, it will be silent afterwards. Eddie, what's what's a worse scenario for you? The person who listens to music on their iPhone without headphones, which people do. That's that just blows my mind. Or the guy next to you who takes his shoes and socks off and puts his feet up. So. It's definitely the shoes and socks guy because the the phone guy, I don't care who you are, I'll tell you to stop it. <laughs> I don't care. But the shoes and socks guy, you won't tell the It's harder. Why, yeah, why could you stop being disgusting with your hygiene and put your shoes back up? So the easier move for me is when I'm traveling, I always have two sets of headphones. And even now, I, when I walk around, I have my AirPods and I'll have wired ones just in case. On several occasions, even on the Paris Metro, I'll just say to people, ah, do you need a pair of headphones? You can keep these. And I'll just offer them a set of headphones. Do they? Has anyone ever taken you up on that? never take them, but they get the message. Sam, I know the next thing I do when I see Eddie is I'm just going to listen. I'm going to have the fucking headphones. (laughs) Just get a free pair. An extra pair? Yeah, I love those AirPods. Just take them out of his ear. <laughs> I don't offer the AirPods, asshole. Now, that Can I have the case, ears. please? Can I have the case? <laughs> Actually, the phone will be better. Can you just give me your phone? <laughs> but yeah, give me a wallet. That I never have a problem. I don't care even if it's a, you know six guys doing it on a metro. I'll tell them to cut it out. 
I don't care. Well, that sounds like a very different thing altogether, Eddie. <laughs> no, but but where? Yeah, no, this isn't your type of metro ride, Sam. But it's uh, the gay metro. <laughs> well, that was what you. Thought. Yeah, but I wouldn't be telling him to cut it out either. <laughs> oh, true. Can I join? Eddie, how about the yeah, how about room for one, one more? Eddie, how about the one where we're going home or going back to Paris, and the guy had the dog. <laughs> And he proceeded to brush the dog oh, right outside of the train. Wait. And it was really windy. Yeah. And there was just dog hair going everywhere. Wait, so he was like the grooming the dog with like a brush On hair. the platform. Yes. On the platform. But in a windy day. And people and were just walking down the platform. This dog had been groomed in, in yeah. years. People Four were just years. walking down the platform and getting hit by chunks of just dog hair. <laughs> how do people? Train. How do people pick their moments in life to do this kind of thing? It yeah. was so gross. You were seeing people swallow chunks of golden retriever hair. It was, like, oh. oh my god! No, it was awful. And I don't, you know, like I, I like dogs, so it's not one. Of, I'm not disgusted by the as I know Frank does. Not like disgusted by a dog or having to groom a dog. But that was not the moment to do it. But I no. generally find I'm always more bothered by people who from a hygiene, like even in this family, the dad like stuck his his foot up, up on the opposite chair and stuff. It's just like someone else is going to sit there and your filthy fucking shoe is now what they're going to sit on. And that really bothers me anytime. That bothers me more because like, they're not going to come on and shampoo this chair after you've been here. So the dog shit that you stepped on before you got on this train and the human piss that you stepped on, now someone's going to sit on that next time they come and kind of like sit down for their relaxing train ride. That's great. Well, what a disgusting train ride this was. (laughs) Why don't you go upstream, Eddie, and just just badger the guy who's pissing on the floor? Well, sadly, I can't. Cut the problem at its source. (laughs) Yeah, cut the source off. (laughs) Could you stop shitting everywhere? Because this guy keeps stepping on it and then putting his feet up. (laughs) Now, next time I, you know, I'll I'll go upstream. Next time I see someone doing that, I'll just stand up and I'll just piss directly on them and say, I'm going to give you the same experience. Save you the hassle. (laughs) I'm going to give you the same experience that the next person that sits in that seat is about to get. I will now see how much you enjoy it. Oh my god! It's a good thing I don't take many trains with Eddie. <laughs> oh, I have. He's not a happy train camper. <laughs> I just Ooh. want people to be decent human beings when they travel. Be relatively quiet. Don't be filthy. Like, I mean, Eddie's into it. Eddie is that person, like in the seventies, when people would take airplane flights and they would get dressed up. When Eddie takes his train, he, he's got a suit and tie on. He like takes the suit jacket off, folds it really nicely. Travel, travel, is oh, an I do. Oca- travel is an occasion, like an event for him. Yes, yeah. I do wish people still behave like that for sure. You know, but then just chain smoking like crazy. <laughs> That's the trade off. I still find He'll that dress incredible. Nice, I still find that unbelievable because surely the logic is they knew that this air filtered. So, like, this this air was being kind of refiltered, less purified, and they just accepted smoking as a thing. I, I can't fathom how that was ever a sensible option. I mean, whenever when everyone already smokes, right, it doesn't make much difference. I guess if the air is just as shit anyway, you might as well just keep going. 
But you can't yeah. be a smoker and complain about secondhand smoke. You know, like you can't be like, look, I smoke three packs a day, but it's really disgusting when I have to breathe someone else's smoke. But anyway, back to sport. What about it? <laughs> yeah. Other other storylines from the week. Are we excited for uh, the Osaka documentary? Not really. It's on my list. Yeah. It's it's behind Space Jam, though, so it's got to wait a little bit. I'm intrigued, and I think I will watch and it. And Ted Lasso starts Friday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ted Lasso, I'm super looking forward to. But Yeah, me too. Osaka, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's a difficult subject, but it is one that then she's pushed a lot of press through, right? She's in a lot of ads at the moment. She was on the face. She was on the cover of, I guess it was GQ. Sports Illustrated. She was, yeah, and then like GQ Japan or something like that, or Vogue Japan, one of those. She's obviously got the documentary. For someone who, and again, I can't, we can't make judgments as to what her personal struggles are in her head are, but for someone who seemed to struggle with the attention and the pressure, she is then very much seeking out more of that attention yeah. about not wanting attention which is the, well a lot of those a lot of those shoots in fairness were probably before that even came out maybe but then she probably she has still the problem then right like it's not as if yeah it was a singular moment where this happened in which case i would feel differently about it as well where she says no i'm over it it just i had an anxiety attack that i wasn't used to or something and also she's coming back for the u.s open apparently she's she said that she's she's it just we talked about this too but doesn't this put more pressure on her now and i and part of it is not her fault but part of it is her fault like it i can go both you can i can swing both sides of that argument but regardless of if it's her fault or not there is definitely more pressure on her now than there was before she said that she had to take time away because of the pressure and the anxiety of being a professional athlete. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's ever anyone that has said I can't deal with the media pressure, so I'm going to invite them into my daily life to understand the media pressure and then not like it. It it just it just strikes me as problematic. That's all. Like like you say, you don't know specific moments or moments in her career or life where things changed. But it just strikes a problematic core with her point about media pressure is then to invite it just seems I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as saying hypocritical, but it just comes across as are you sure? <laughs> like are you sure media pressures are the thing or is that is that something yeah. you're saying? Well, I mean, it's very much wanting everything on her own terms, which I mean, look, we should all want things on our own terms in life. And she's in a position to do that a lot more than a normal person is. But yeah, I mean, if she wants to play tennis, it feels like she needs to accept that if she wants to avoid those moments that cause her real stress and anxiety, then perhaps she has to take a lower profile overall. It almost seems like she's taking a higher profile to push forward. Perhaps if we're being, you know, if you if you're really taking her at face value, then just to push forward mental health awareness. But in doing so, She's going to put more. So she runs the risk if she's, I mean, maybe she wants to be a bit of a martyr for, and I don't mean that badly, but for mental health awareness, because I agree with you, Frank, like 
her press conferences are going to have way more attention now. If she loses, she goes to the, if she loses in the first couple rounds of the U.S. Open, you know that that's going to be a packed press room. Now, maybe she's in a position where now she can say she's not going to turn up for it. I, I don't know how that will go down. But it does seem a little bit like, yeah, a press conference is really easy to go to when you win. It's a little bit harder to go to when you, it's like going for a performance review at work when we've all had, you had a great quarter or a great semester. Yeah, that's a great performance review to have when you've missed a few of your targets. You can't go like, hey, sorry, boss, but like these performance reviews are really stressful and I do not deal well with them. But next quarter, if things are good, I can sit through that one. Yeah, I mean, I the, the documentary doesn't bother me at all. And in fact, I think I can, I feel that I respect her more for doing the documentary in the sense that I believe maybe she does have anxiety issues and things like that. And she's still willing to kind of put that to the side to have people film her to show the world about the stresses and the anxiety she she's getting, you know, she's willing to make herself feel more uncomfortable to have an inside view as to what's making her more uncomfortable that I don't have an issue with. all. I think that's actually great that she, she did that. The documentary doesn't bother me. It was just that initial way that she went about with the whole canceling of the tournament. And if she had done that in a better manner, she wouldn't have this increased pressure now at these future tournaments. But the way she went, just the way she went about just completely shutting off the media and kind of the awkwardness that, that it was makes this next tournament now, you know the media, there are people who will be respectful, but there are other people who will be more onto her to try and get a reaction out of her because they know she's on edge. Well, yeah, plus, I mean, too, right? The, the reality of it is she's putting some people's jobs at risk because there are plenty of people who are employed just for the purposes of turning up after a match, going to press conferences, writing their match report, getting some quotes and some anecdotes from players. So if... Osaka was successful in what she's trying to achieve and basically give players a license to not turn up to those, then on the media side of things, there'll be people who lose their jobs. And again, for the betterment of the individuals, obviously the tennis players themselves are more important to our enjoyment of tennis than the media is. Although, as we've also discussed, part of why they make so much money is because of that media attention. But, you know... I can understand why there could be resentment within certain aspects of the media who think, yeah, this is great. You want to play tennis. You don't care about the fact that in order for my career to be successful, I need you to turn up and tell me why you lost that match. Now, one player who is getting media attention this week that he most certainly did not want is uh, Everton's Gilfie Sigurdsson, who seemingly has been arrested on charges of sexual acts relating to children it's, i don't it's child sex offenses yeah. yeah so we don't know the degree or severity of that but they have been arrested yeah. under child sex offenses great wow them. that that is Tired. right on cue huh <laughs> that is not that is, an added noise <laughs> no if you yeah, if you've just heard sirens that was not an editing post that was not a post recording editing effort um so 
obviously, yeah, as Sam, as you said, we don't know what it is. We don't know whether it is he's messaged an underage person, said inappropriate things to an underage person, if he's been visiting inappropriate child, you know, pornography on the internet, if he's done something even worse than that. There is a scale, obviously, of things that he may may or may not have done, and we don't know where on that spectrum he's going to fall. He's been. It's not. It's also not been confirmed yet that it is Gilfy Sigurdsson. It was confirmed by the police. So they're trying to. Should I just leave it on? You know what? I'm just going to leave it on whilst we talk about this. (laughs) There, it was confirmed by the police that a Premier League. Interesting description. It was confirmed by the police that a Premier League a player who was based in the Manchester area, who is a Premier League football. They also specified who is a millionaire. This was also specified by them, which I thought was a weird detail to throw in, uh, who was 31 years old, was arrested by police and released. Um, so then everyone started looking to figure out who it was. As it turns out, it looks like it's Gilfie Sigurdsson because he has been suspended by Everton. So either he has the worst timing in the world on... Oh, yeah, we said a missing training. <laughs> yeah. Or he's done something awful. Um, a couple of other players were, it was strongly linked to Delph. So a few newspapers ran headlines saying that Delph had been arrested. They've now having to print retractions of these stories, but kind of one of those things, right? Once you've thrown the mud out there, it's kind of hard to clean that particular wall because some of it's definitely stuck. And... I do feel. Do you think it's? Do you think it's a bigger Everton ring? <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe Hillary Clinton's involved too. But <laughs> do they have a pizza shop nearby that they they all go to? <laughs> the, uh, but the, yeah, the the problem with all this as well is that obviously under the legal reasons, like British media can't report the name. But I think it was the Icelandic media that gave it up as well because naturally they. It happened in enough countries, so they're allowed to report these things. And they named Sigurdsson as well. So obviously the British media was able to kind of guess the, you know, a millionaire, 31 Everton. It's like, okay, there's there's not that many. So you're kind of bringing them under trial by probability or trial by elimination. Um, but the Icelandic media actually reported that it was him as well. So, but yeah, this is, this is pretty painful big news, actually, because... Like obviously, it's 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 a, it's a whatever the severity is, it's a pretty horrific offence to be brought under because ultimately, whatever happens, the trial by media has already started now, and it's almost impossible to get your name somewhat erased, or even if you do get found innocent, the fans, the crowds, the chants, the new things that people will make jibes at, it, it's something that unfortunately sticks with you for life, I guess. Yeah, if he's innocent, unfortunately, yeah. Um, yeah, if he's guilty, it's kind of fair that it sticks with him for life. But... Yeah, it's fair game in that case. Yeah, look, it's a it's an awful one in the scenario that is everyone is going to assume there's no smoke without fire now, no matter what happens to him. So if he is innocent, it's it's probably a Sean Watson. Yeah, yeah, it's a career ender probably either way. To be perfectly honest, I don't know how. I mean, certainly if he's found guilty, it's a career ender. Um, obviously, we kind of seen something. There was the Adam Johnson situation, right? 
Um, oh, I was, forgot about Adam Johnson. Yeah. So for context, Adam Johnson was a Premier League footballer who was messaging underage girls and kind of a weird story. I think 15-year-old girls, 14, 15-year-old girls, and then meeting them in their Range Rover and trying to kiss them and then trying to go further with them and kind of offering them like signed shirts, like memorabilia in exchange for sexual acts. Um, yeah, because that's the easiest way to mask your identity. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Shirts. It's true. It's not a criminal. <laughs> it's not a criminal mastermind, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Now, unless he was giving them someone else's, you know. Oh yes, he's sneaky. <laughs> yeah, it's like where'd you get that Yakubu shirt from? <laughs> I kissed him in his Range Rover. Um, but yeah, not, not that any of this is really a laughing matter. Right. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a career ender for Sickerson probably either, either way, but, and it's also one of those awful things too, right? I, I can't even stop my mind from going there, but to think, well, if they've arrested a premier league footballer, you have to assume they feel pretty confident that they have the evidence to convict him. And not that a Premier League footballer should require a stronger evidence, but you do just feel that if you were handling the case and you knew it was someone high profile and a celebrity, that you might then think, we need to be really, really certain of what we're about to do because there's going to be no coming back from it. Whereas if it's just a, a normal person, you can kind of bring them in for questioning and think, well, this will probably go unnoticed. Uh, this one definitely, definitely can't. So we did, previously we did a YouGov poll on the could you defeat said animal. I don't know if you remember that back back then. I, I don't have CTE. Um, uh, I can remember it, Frank. It was, it was like six weeks ago. <laughs> it was last podcast. Um, so the new one is the top 10 most popular Olympic sports among those who are actually interested in the Olympics. This is Americans. Okay. Can you guess? I'm going to, I'll put it up. I'm going to start this way. There is no way you can guess the top three because I will say they put track and field as athletics Okay. okay. And Americans so just, don't know it as athletics, so I don't think it was picked as highly as it was. They know okay. it as track and field. So, but then so if you single events are was, classified under the wider thing, so like swimming is it's swimming. Like rather than saying yes. relay, four by one hundred relay yes. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But okay. because of that, athletics was eighth, and I don't think it would normally be that low. Or is it because it's specified, right? If for people who are really into the uh, into the Olympics, is athletics like the basic bitch answer of what's your favorite thing from the Olympics? <laughs> like, is that how you get singled out? Like, what do you really enjoy about the Olympics? I love the hundred meters. Oh, I love you know, I'm sure you do. I love all the sports. I'm sure you do. And who's your favorite musician? Shakira. You know, it's like one of those. It's it's like immediately I lose hey, all. Hey, come on, leave Shakira alone. I'm kind of curious. What do you got? She's going straight out for this Colombian lady. You <laughs> just like immediately lose respect for your, you know, your kind of sporting palette. 
so to speak. Eddie refuses to believe her hips don't lie. I think they tell the truth of just... I actually think... Okay, I I think swimming will be high up there. I think it will be above athletics, but it's not going to be top five. I'm going to say swimming is like sixth. How do you want me to do this? Do you want me to tell oh, you it's, your, okay. it's your thing. Okay, we'll go ahead. We know So we know one just, of the top ten. We'll take just turns. Just give me your top three, so, what you think your top three are. Part of the challenge is once you throw athletics or track and field out as a whole group, it's now trying to just think of a lot of other Olympic activities. You know what I mean? Like it's suddenly, okay, what They suddenly become obscure. Feels like I've thrown out 60% of the Olympics. My top three, in no particular order. Okay. Weightlifting, archery, and volleyball. What type of volleyball? Wait, really? I thought we were. I thought they were being a group. Except volleyball. <laughs> Why they were well, oddly then specific? Then I'll, go, then I'll go beach. Okay. Sam, what are your top three? Swimming, basketball, and gymnastics. Because I feel like gymnastics might like include quite gymnastics a lot. Gymnastics is a good call. America's what good at gymnastics. What type of gymnastics? Too. Okay. Jesus, really? Um, there is rhythmic gymnastics and artistic gymnastics. Rhythmic. Okay. Sam is the winner. He had one correct answer out of the three. It, is it rhythmic gymnastics? <laughs> it is not rhythmic gymnastics. Is it basketball? So, okay. Going, Don't tell me it's swimming. Going from, going from 10, the, the 10th favorite to number one, synchronized swimming, number 10, baseball, number nine, track and field, number eight, boxing, number seven, rhythmic gymnastics, number six. Basketball number five. Hey, two then. Beach volleyball number four. Number three, diving. Number two, artistic gymnastics. And number one, swimming. See, I feel like you sold me a bill of goods here because you told me there's no way I could have guessed the top three. And I would have undoubtedly put swimming in the top three, but you were like, You would not have guessed diving. No, but I would have guessed. There's no way you would have guessed. I would have guessed swimming. Are like you swimming? You, Are you no, no, is no, no. swimming said, diving? You, no way you guess all three. I meant. No, swimming and diving are very, very distinct. I was thinking so, yeah. yeah. Although I will say growing up on a swim team, you had a diving team as part of it. Like when you went to a swimming competition, you'd also have a dive simultaneously, you'd have a diving competition. So I'm, like I'm pretty sure college wait, athletics wait, is swimming wait, and diving. Yeah. Simultaneously. Like Do you mean like in the same pool? <laughs> at the same time yeah well, usually amazing of, wow <laughs> well it depended actually on the pool because sometimes yes because you have a section of the pool where the diving board was which was off from where you were racing so yes sometimes it would be going on simultaneously but no they weren't ju- they weren't diving into lane three i find it strange that diving is that high so wait can you say get, can uh, you say Americans the number are- Say, say the top four again for me, please. Swimming, artistic gymnastics, diving, beach volleyball. Okay, so when it says for people who really like the Olympics, it's just like wink pervert. It's like, it's like <laughs> where can I see the most revealing outfits? This is what I'm going to go for. 
basically. What is an artistic gymnastic? That's like the that's the gymnastics you think of when you think of gymnastics. That doesn't help. It's as in it's parallel it's not bar, like the rhythmic parallel oh, rings, like okay, with the like the pummel horse and stuff like that. Yes. Rhythmic is like the floor routine stuff, okay. the stuff, Understood. the stuff that men don't really do. It's the floor routine, I think, with the ribbons specifically and all that kind of stuff. Not like Simone Biles doing her floor with her. That's the stuff. name I was thinking of. Yeah, really? It's more I like think dancing. She... Yeah, I no, think... I think it's more like dancing. There, wow, I, I mean, this is. I obviously am not an experienced Olympian watcher because there's team events of the rhythmic gymnastics. It looks like there's like teams of five or four. This is quite intense. Yeah, I always find it funny. I mean, we've previously spoken about, right, they they cut down on the number of cycling events. I do find it funny when there are certain events where there's maybe too many of kind of the same sort of thing. Um, gymnastics might hey, fall. Dancing in. with a hoop and it's dancing very, with a ball are very, very different. different. Very different. True. But no, I do feel like gymnastics, maybe there's a little bit too much variety. But now, I, I don't think with the artistic one, though, I mean, those events are pretty different. Okay. There's a joke I want to make, and I just can't. Make oh, it. come on. <laughs> no, we're, I can't. We're, we're all friends, and all our listeners are friends. <laughs> I can't. I would have to edit it out, so I can't make it. <laughs> I can make it, but it, you know what? I'm going to make it. I. I know what the joke is. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Because I thought of it too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I haven't clocked on. <laughs> so, yeah. Because it's also from a movie. <laughs> okay, then I don't know what your joke is. It might be the same joke, but I don't know the movie reference. We're going to now take a second, pause. The listeners will not know the joke we're referring to, and then we will resume. All right, the joke has been made safely off air. Listeners will never know what it was. It was hilarious, though. We laughed for minutes on end. Yeah, it's like it's like half an hour later in the. This is a whole other day now. Official length. Yeah, we're done. We're in a new day. Speaking of the Olympics, though, did you see that the women's soccer had kicked off today with some impressive results? So you saw the USA lose their forty-four match unbeaten run. Uh, The Dutch beat Zambia ten-three. You know. Frequent results seen in um, good football. What's and, more uh, surprising, a 10-3 result or the USA losing 3-0? Three, three well, oh, Sweden the USA are, losing. The, Sweden are the good, USA, but still. Sweden are good, but USA losing compared to the Dutch 10-3. Yeah, it's the USA losing. What did uh, Rapino or whatever she's called say? We got bopped, which sounds like bopped. a weird way of saying, yeah, bopped. Americans are so weird sometimes when they, you know. If I heard know, like someone in the Premier League lose three 0 they're like, "Yeah, we got bopped." I'd be like, "What are you? What are you on about?" Actually, it reminds me when we went to watch the England match, uh, the finals. We went to the English pub up in Phoenix, and they had an English breakfast, but they did not have black pudding, and I was very upset. It's an easy one to forgive. From an English I mean, it's understandable because I don't know how, like, I don't know if anyone even has it in the United States. And Americans general. mostly think it's gross. Yeah, I like rather enjoy it though. Once you've explained to them what it is, they're usually out on it. So I do get that it's a risk. 
Like you could just be wasting a lot of money by putting it on the menu. But I do agree it with you. Be optional. Yeah, it is one of those things I do look forward to in an English breakfast. Cool. Not I look for me. forward to the day before Ascot. Get the nice English breakfast. Read the Racing Post. <laughs> get ready for Tuesday. Now, speaking of Ascot, we can uh, do a little bit and pay a little bit more attention to horse racing in general. We've got a few big races coming up over the next couple of weeks. We've also got some horse racing related guests coming on. But I thought we could start our ARC watch. July oh, 20. No, no, I'm not doing it again. July no. 22nd. Oh, yeah. Because so it was around the eclipse last year where the Gaia train continued. Yeah. The question <laughs> no. is I legitimately saw this question asked online. Does this, this have the, the makings of ever? the best arc of all time? The <laughs> question. I love it. <laughs> question gets asked every year, and we've got to ask it because obviously Snowfall put in another very impressive performance uh, at the weekend. Everything coming out from the Snowfall camp, Ryan Moore, uh, who obviously didn't ride it in the Oaks, uh, was very much full of praise said that it is a horse that will only continue to improve so you have snowfall at the top of the market at seven to two love who will obviously be racing this weekend at 11 to two you then have hurricane lane also at 11 to two who put in a really impressive performance last time out in france at longchamp in heavy conditions so basically a perfect test for what it's about to face in the arc. I mean, if you want to know, will the horse handle the conditions that it will probably face in the first weekend in October, Hurricane Lane has checked all of those boxes. Then you have St. Mark's Basilica, and then you have a whole host of other horses who you can all make a case for, and particularly if you look at the likes of uh, Mishrif and Lone Eagle, if they put in good performances over the next, well, this weekend, but also over the coming months. Same with Wonderful Tonight. You'll see their prices continue to drop. I mean, it doesn't have the feeling to me of, is this the greatest arc of all time? Because what it lacks is the proven arc talent that we've seen over the last few years. Yeah, maybe like an actual winner, like a repeat yeah. winner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You mean like an A? But if, last year. If, if love wins convincingly then you have the enable comparison come in real quick. Yeah. Is this the next enable? Yeah. But I think I think the good thing about this run into the arc is that there's way more than a few competitors going into it that you're going to see good runs from. So like enable won the King George stop. last year and it was uncompetitive. No. no, 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 no. Because <laughs> in fairness, the Eclipse was enable v. Gaieth. The King George was enable. And then there was very little that was competitive after that. They deliberately didn't run Gaif. They deliberately only run Enable one more time, I think. Whereas you look this year, you've got a really good King George coming up on Saturday. You've got really good entries at Goodwood for like the Nassau Stakes and the Sussex Stakes. And you've got really good entries going into York, like the, um, the Nunthorpe, uh, sorry, the, the Judmont. So you can already see more competitive like ways to the arc i'm only talking in the uk because i know that there's a ton of amazing international entries and french french entries going into it but just from the uk side uk and ireland you've got really good entries already when last year you didn't have that 
yeah, no, look, I think it could be one of the most open arcs for a long time. I think you're going to, there is a, whether or not it's the best, because again, I think the fact that it lacks the proven pedigree of an arc winner, which it's not just enable, we've had it kind of over the last, for the last 10 years, you've had, you know, like the same with Trev, right? You've, you've had a number of arcs where you had been a kind of a litmus test for everything else coming in. Well, if you can beat enable, if you can beat Trev, then you felt like you'd proven yourself at this big stage whereas look this could be a great field but it may be one of those where you say okay snowfall beat love and hurricane lane and st mark's basilica and then we never really saw anything of them again so it looked great the saturday before the arc but 12 months later it doesn't look like that great of an arc i will say these antipost prices are insane i mean snowfall being seven to two when it's not even guaranteed to make it there, right? What is what price are they then projecting snowfall would be on the day if everything continues to go smoothly? They're basically saying if you think snowfall is worth backing at seven to two right now, then you are thinking that snowfall will be under three to one on the Sunday of the arc, which is just an incredibly short priced favorite they, for a horse they, that's not previously won the arc. They must be taking a painful amount of money to be creating a book that low on anti-post betting. And yeah. And I mean, just, you've got what you've got, uh, seven horses in single figures in an anti-post market for a race in which it's true that you don't get a lot of big price winners. So probably one of those seven will win the race. So, but I can't see why you'd be snapping up seven to two on Snowfall. I have to admit right now I would lean towards Hurricane Lane just because of how taking its performance was at Longshaw in conditions it's likely to face in October. For me, that's where I'd be leaning. And you can forgive the Derby performance because of the fact that it lost both of its front shoes, right? And it's the only loss it has on its yeah. record. So, it lost both shoes. <laughs> yeah, so you can kind of, there's there are excuses there to be made. So I think right now, Hurricane Lane, but again, I can't, I don't see a point in backing it at 11 to 2 because I can't see how it's going to be significantly shorter than 11 to 2 on the day, unless you tell me. The only reason to do it is if I heard something coming out of, you know, the O'Brien camp that Love and Snowfall and St. Mark's Basilica were going to bypass the Ark for some reason. In which case, okay, I'll take 11-2 on Hurricane Lane right now. But assuming at least two of those turn up and any one of the host of other single-priced horses turns up, then I, I can't see the point in, in betting it. Right. Uh, anything else from the world of sport catch, catch our respective eyes over the course of the week? No, just really looking forward to those opening ceremonies. True. I already got my bar lined up. I want to go to and cheer on with everyone else. Make sure to take condoms, Frank. <laughs> you might even want to wear one into the bar because you just never things will get, <laughs> get wild. They just might start leaping on you. You might want to just stick a couple on ahead of time. Yeah, don't worry. They'll understand. No, I'm not proposing that he doesn't have anything else on, Sam. What, so he doesn't just walk in like helicoptering with a condom? <laughs> no, no, you can still have his can still have his shorts on. Just have one on underneath. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, well, talk to you boys later.
See ya. Cheerio.